Nå er det tid for nordisk på trikk. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Hey, this is Eric reminding you to visit our podcast website for links, pictures, and other extras related to any of our podcasts, including this one. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, and that's why we put them there. And while you're there, please take our listener survey and then consider contributing towards our program by clicking the Buy Me a Cafe button. Please click the Follow button to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean and such to get notified of new Nordic on Tap episodes. Okay, let's get started. This podcast is about a journey of tradition, culture, and belonging. It's about leaving where you come from and finding a place in a new one, a place where you belong. For our journey, we'll use the concept of a tall ship or a Viking boat. You know, a model boat can be found suspended from the ceiling in a number of churches throughout Europe. It symbolizes a spiritual journey. As part of our journey, we'll discuss along the way that amazing folk art tradition called Rosmaling, and we'll learn what belonging to a church means for some folks who identify as evangelical Lutherans. Finally, we'll pose the question of our Viking voyage, what do you do when you've been through stormy seas only to find that your lodestone has disappeared? I was cued to start this by Marilyn Hansen. She's a Seattle-area professional rosemaler and teacher. Now, rosemaling is a traditional painting style of floral design, largely of Norwegian origin, some Swedish. So we need to go back first to the 1700s in Norway to begin our journey. Decorative painting has been around Europe since at least the Middle Ages. When it came to Norway, floral motifs seemed to be a natural extension of wood carving. Look, for example, at the curling serpents and vines on the doorposts of stave churches. But in Norway, the isolation of communities between mountains and valleys meant that local styles developed, similar to or and in parallel with how district folk costumes evolved, bunads. Telemark, Hallingdal, and Rogaland are the three most common design styles found today. The difference between these styles is relatively subtle, except for the fact that the Telemark style is asymmetrical while the others are symmetrical about a central point or mirror images about an axis. Rose Malling, when it was at its height in the 1700s to 1800s, 
was created mostly by men who traveled around and painted in the homes of relatively wealthy landowners and also in churches. Painting flowers and vines on the walls was common, but they also painted chairs and stools and bowls and transport boxes like Tina's. The design, usually a vine or a tendril that curves in C-shapes or S-shapes with flowers and buds and leaves coming off a stem, often with fine highlighter lines of tendrils and dewdrops in a different color. The backgrounds of Rosemalling tended to be dark black green or reds or blues or something like that. Another common item that was rosemald was a storage chest or a trunk. This was the method by which many immigrants who left Norway, Sweden, and Denmark in the late 1800s and 1900s carried their most prized possessions across the ocean. And although we can see these beautiful rosemald chests in uh, museums today, the art form at that point in the early 1900s was already on the wane. But rosemalling was brought to the United States on these storage chests, which reminded people of their cultural roots, their traditions back home, before setting out for the new world and possibly never to return. It was a touchstone to a place where they belonged. And in one of those ships, yes, there's our ship, the thread through all of this, a ship from Norway was a fellow named Per Lusna who settled in Stoughton, Wisconsin, in the northern middle of the United States, in the Midwest. He worked at, he got a job at the Mant Wagon Factory in Stoughton, where he painted little floral flourishes on wagons in the style of rosemalling back home. His popularity grew so much that he started to do his classic was painting smorgasbord platters. His popularity grew so much that even Marshall Fields, which is a big department store company, if you don't know, was requesting Rosemald pieces to sell. And so Lusna helped resurrect Rosemalling, at least in America. And in fact, he's often called the father of American Rosemalling. American rosemalling also contributed and influenced the rosemalling in Norway and back and forth. Rosemalling really took off. It came back into its own in the 1970s and 80s, not only among admirers and collectors of pieces, but also among people of Nordic extraction who wanted to learn to paint rosemalling as a hobby. I was one of those people, too and I was lucky enough to take rosemalling lessons in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Another person who was interested in rosemalling was Sherry Anderson. She was the wife of Pastor Anderson at Glendale Lutheran Church in Burien, Washington, Washington State in the United States. Glendale Lutheran Church was built in 1948, and over the decades it developed into a large church with multiple buildings, a school building along with the original church. A new larger sanctuary was built in the 60s. And the original church building, which only had 20 pews, was now called the chapel. And as time went on, it was used less and less into the 70s and 80s. 
Now, back in Norway, some Rosemallas from the Northwest were on a bus tour that included a Rosemalling teacher. Her name was Björg Oseid Klaivi. She's from the Selyor area of Telemark. The American guide for the people from the United States was from Tacoma, Washington, not very far from Burien, Washington. And the upshot of this was that Björg ended up being asked to give several Rosemalling lessons, Rosemalling workshops for folks back in the Tacoma area, but especially at the Glendale Church. Well, Sherry Anderson took these workshops that Bjorg offered, got really into Rosemalling, and proposed a way to renovate the Glendale Chapel with Rosemalling. Now, this is unusual. For me, Lutheran churches are fairly spare and not fancy. So adding Rosemalling to an American evangelical Lutheran church is relatively unique. So the way Björg Klaivi designed the Rosemalling is she first painted freehand several panels, which students of the Western Rosemalling Association copied. These panels were to go on the sides of pews, around the communion rail, up at the altar. They circled the lectern, the pulpit, a baptismal font, and even a reliquary box. They thought that would be kind of cool, like in old-time churches in, in Norway. A reliquary box is where you'd put the bones of a saint, should you have one available. So we're talking over a hundred Rosmal panels, like anywhere from three feet by one feet, something like that, or, or smaller. And using scaffolding, Bjorg painted graceful tendrils of Rosmaling in an arch over the altar, over the windows, over the doors, and she painted three Bible verses, two, especially one on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side as you entered the chapel. Hanging next to the pulpit, high up, was a votive Viking ship of wood adorned with soup can lids as shields along the sides, and these were rosemald. That's the ship in this story. So it took them five years to finish it all in the 1990s, and the result was stunning. I visited the chapel in July of 2023, and I really love how the blue backgrounding of the panels of Rosemalling matched the sky blue of the walls. That was intentional. This was a Lutheran church that was absolutely unique and quite beautiful. I've put pictures of the chapel on the episode website at nordicontap.com and some close-ups of the Rosmalling. Well, the ship of time continued its journey, and the church dwindled in size through the 2010s and early 2020s. You know, back in the 80s, they had a congregation of about 2,000 strong, and into the 2020s, it went down to 70, and then 50, and then 10, and 8. You see, the Scandinavians in the community, and there had been many, had either moved away or passed away. 
and leadership finally had to decide to sell the church property. And so they did in 2023. They passed it on to a Vietnamese congregation, Tien An, the True Living Church, who also rented out the chapel to a Ukrainian, uh, Ethiopian, and Latino congregations. And so there came a day when the Rosmal panels were removed, along with the pews, to make room for a more flexible seating arrangement. I visited the Glendale Chapel on this day. I helped them with moving the furniture. And then I sat down to get the story from the six remaining people of Glendale Lutheran Church who who were there that day. I asked, what did it mean to belong to Glendale Lutheran? How were they involved in the church? And what did it mean now that their congregation, their church, was effectively dissolved? Where did they belong? Here's an edited version of what we talked about. And you'll hear the voices of of several people. And I caught the names of a few of them. I don't I know Steve, Marie, and Cynthia, and there's another fellow who you, who will start off here soon whose name I, I didn't quite get. There are a lot of Norskis here. There were, yeah, goodness sakes. Well I'm half Norwegian. Because bowling was really big then and so you had all of the young families just got married after the war. Yeah. Everybody wanted to work for Boeing. You know, that's what this was, was bedroom community, most of the folks are going. We had a couple neighbors that were not an integrated neighbor, neighborhood. We had a, a couple of Jewish folks, and the rest were ended up being all Lutheran. <laughs> you know, so, and they're all Caucasian. It's more integrated now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, around the church right now, 70% of the, oh, 30% are Caucasian, 70% are Lutheran. So it's gone from zero to 70%. Sure. Yeah, which is, that's what's making this church up now. Yeah. Uh, congregations here. <coughs> There's five uh, congregations using facilities here. I heard about three, but I didn't know if they were yeah. still. There's two Hispanic, one in this building and one in the sanctuary. Okay. There are okay. lot, and there are about 300, 350 people. And there's a Ukrainian church here. Yep. And there's an Ethiopian church. So they got three churches here and then the, Vietnamese who bought. Was the good homes you were wanted to put them in other churches or? Ideally, we'd like yeah. to have yeah, a church yeah. be able to use yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, but, They're um, supposed to go. Things that we're getting rid of are supposed to go to nonprofits. Now we're going to get to a point here where you're going to throw this stuff away. Yeah. But first, we have to first offer all of this stuff to nonprofits. But this was word of mouth through, I guess, one of the original Rose Mallers. Not the designer, I guess, who came, who I talked to yesterday on oh, Facebook. Man. Yeah, it was really cool. She you designed did, these? Yeah. She designed them, painted one, and then she had her students paint the others. So they're all individually painted? Yeah. 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 And then apparently Wonder. she had scaffolding to do this. Um, I, it's amazing. I just, I just marvel at people who have the capacity to do this stuff because I don't. I can't even draw a straight line without a straight. No, right. So This is Steve talking now. It's very time consuming. It is. It's been beautiful as heck. But yeah, so it was really cool to, to contact this lady and... I'm glad she's still around. Yeah, the whole 
this kind of a setup is kind of going away anymore. It Churches is. don't want to have fixed, they want to be able to clear it out right. and set up chairs and do other things with the space, mm -hmm. which I get. Yeah, that's been modern. You've got to kind of be more utilitarian, I guess, with the space. I think churches are challenged, too, in general, right, in terms of parishioners and keeping. It depends on what communities you're in. But. It's, it's, I think, been very polarized. You have the little churches that are dwindling and then yeah, the big mega churches on oh, the other end. Yeah. The problem with this is that the community aged. Yeah. And there's half a dozen of us here who were under 80. So you were confirmed here, uh, er, I right? I grew up here grew until up here. I was, well, after high school, I went out to LVI, which is out on oh, Greenwood, across from the Foss home. It was a two-year Bible college then, and it went I went to four years and went from Issaquah to Everett. Hmm. And it's, it went the same way as Glendale right now. Okay, I see. There are, a friend of mine is on the board managing the foundation to uh, dispose of the rest of assets, which is what we will do here as well. And we'll fund scholarships and support other, you know, nonprofits over time. That's great. With the proceeds of the sale. I vaguely remember I mean, this was all there was originally. And yeah. then they built mm -hmm. the gym, the school, which is just north of here. I don't know if the offices were in the original construction next door here, and then they added the gym and the school rooms. They had a school there for 40 years, but there was not a school when, when we were here, other than the Sunday schools. They were all, and they were packed. Really? All those rooms were packed every Sunday with kids. That's cool. And I mean, you know, it's an 850-seat sanctuary, I think. That big round thing? Yeah. yeah. And there were two services. I believe it. But now, you know, at the end, there were maybe 30 people there, 20 to 50. I started going here in probably 1957, 8. This is Marie talking now. Mm-hmm. Sunday school. Sunday school? Sunday school. Going to Sunday school or taking or teaching? No, oh, no, going to Sunday school as a very young child. So you, you, we could say you grew up in the church. Right? Grew up in the church, right. Then confirmation when confirmation. I was... How old were we when we were confirmed? You just confirmed in 67, so you were confirmed in 66. Okay, so I was confirmed in 1966, so I was 15. <laughs> so. What are confirmation classes do you go for? A year, two? Two, two, years. two years. Saturdays and Wednesdays, right? Like that? Yes. Horrible. And all I've seen is services where they had someone either recite something. Right. Confirmation was, you know, this is what Lutherans believe in. You go through two years of okay. classes in as to what Lutherans believe in, what the Ten Commandments are, and what's the creed, and what's the this, and baptism, and what, what are the sacraments, and all that. And after two years, if you agree, then you, yes, you go through some question and answer period. You have to memorize horrible stuff. And then they have a service, and you are a confirmed member of the church then. And back then, when this was happening, that was the only way 
that you became a member of any Lutheran church is if you went through some sort of confirmation, either as a child or they had adult classes that were nicer and shorter. Right. But that's the way you became a Lutheran church member. You didn't just walk in and sign up. You had to go through confirmation. So. I know my father went through that. In fact, yeah. he had a, it. It would have some, some fa- fact, three or four sentences, and then it would say, what does this mean? Yeah, right. And then yeah. you had to <laughs> know that, too. And we had to memorize that. Yeah. I was horrible at that. <laughs> So that's what you went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you as well. Yeah. Did you ever teach Sunday school? Oh, yes. Taught Sunday school, taught Bible school. We had a huge, the, did you see the gym part of Not the yet. building? Mm-hmm. All right. That was full of kids. That was what? 500 kids in there every Sunday. And that's part of the school, right? Right. And mm-hmm. so every summer there was two weeks of Bible school. My mother taught, your mother taught, yeah. And then as I got older, then I, I worked in Bible school and I ended up, yeah, I taught Sunday school for a while, but that's a horrible commitment. And I had babies and that was difficult. I didn't like it. And they were all baptized probably here? Yeah, I was. You were, but with your kids? Yeah. Were you married here too? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. In 1976. 1976. She was in what year? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't, there for a while, like in the 80s, 90s, uh, there was a while I didn't come very often. I was kind of, just, you know. But then I came back here, oh, within the last 15 years, I guess, started more regularly back on council. And I've been on the council, on the board twice. Yep. And right. It's a lay, yeah. Yeah, it's just the operating group of volunteers, you know, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer. Oh, there was, it used to be huge. It's not so much, not so big anymore. Right. Right. So, it's so old. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Is this your church home still, or has been? Well, it has been. I don't know. I'm undecided. You're undecided. Mm-hmm. Is this a, let's see, I'm trying to remember my conferences or synod. Do you remember when this, when the Rose Mulling showed up? That's right. Started, that was uh, a particular, pa- Pastor Anderson, Arnold Anderson, his wife, Sherry, Sherry, was the one that got that going. She was quite artistic and she's the one that, that got that whole business started. Any of you of Scandinavian extraction? You are? Yeah? You willing to say your name? My name is Cynthia. I'm Norwegian and Danish. Okay. Well, we'll forgive you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the Danish yeah. part of it. Was there any attraction to this particular? What, is, is there a Norwegian bent to it at all? Just were no, not necessarily. There was a lot of people in this area in Seattle from Minnesota. Right. It seemed like right. all of Minnesota came this way and of course there were a lot of Norwegians. So there was a large contingency of Nor- um, Scandinavian families. Have you been in, you on the Seattle area here for a long time? I mean, I've lived, I grew up here in the Burien area. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> moved into the Burien area in 1955. This is Cynthia talking now. 
I got here from Minnesota. There you go. And grew up here, and then when I got married, I, my folks oh, still my lived here until they you both passed away. Yeah, I'll check it out someday. Oh, absolutely. But this yeah. this is where He's the magic is, us. by the way. Huh? He's interviewing us. I know. All of us, so you can... He's got his recorder going. Yeah, he's he decided that this is his story, not the... Now that I have my rose modeling in the car, <laughs> I was, uh, was like an hour out to the next place I was going to go and turn around and said, I, that's not important. <laughs> this is what's important. It's the people that are important. We were one of the largest confirmation classes. Yeah? Yeah. And then they started... They were hiring all kinds of people, and they hired a youth leader out of Minnesota. And he started a fantastic teenage group, oh. and we called Tabs Teenage Bible Study. We started a choir, the commitment, it went on tour. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. 60, 60 voices. So we, me, I don't know about you, when my kids came along, I was hoping for that experience. By then, no. the, right. the confirmation classes were like six people, and. They had a youth group for years. They hired different youth pastors through the years, but, but it, it just never, dwindled. Yeah. It was never like that was in the 60s. Well, it's right here. No, it's just not calibrated. Evidently. <laughs> well, well, I mean, in other words, yeah. it's not ringing in. No, no, no they're up in the steeple. It's always been at this church. Is it a recording of the real thing? There it's are, not a bell, but it's, well, it is. They're belt, they're carillons. Yeah. They're in a box up there, and you can. They're physical bells, I believe. Yeah. But they're programmable. Sure. They used to ring on. Well, they yes. used to ring on the hour. It's just it's not. I don't. Clock's not set right. Yeah, I don't if remember. It rang how many times? Seems to me that it was at noon. It would play again. Yeah. Oh, probably yeah. Until the neighbors kind of went, no, wait a minute. Yeah, they turned so. that off. So what would this be used for? After this is the chapel we use for. Well, it's been rented out for many years. Okay. We have, yeah, to the, other to the yeah, other to the two other congregations. They had well, the school, the school uses the, the chapel, yeah. yeah, and they use the fellowship room at times. Okay. Yeah. Did so. they do smaller things like funerals and? Oh sure, and then we'd have small yeah. funerals, small weddings. Yeah. No. I actually went to kindergarten in the fellowship. So did I. So did I, yep. Mrs. Moss. Did you walk? Oh, yes. Yep. All by myself. I know, so did I. You live that well, close, huh? I lived on 5th Southwest. She only lived two blocks. I lived like half a mile down the road. We used to walk to kindergarten from McMicken, from Lewis and Clark, all the way up to McMicken. No. Yes. Did you really? Wow. As a five-year-old. I know. It's terrible to live in no, it's terrible that it's changed. changed. Yes. Well, it's terrible that it's changed, yes, yes. but I'd never right. let my five-year-old, I can't even stand to have my 11-year-old grandson walk the streets. <laughs> Were you confirmed here, too? Oh, yes. Confirmed, married, soon to be married. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, <laughs> don't go there. Go I'm very there. out in the backyard. We'll have a service in the parking lot. Okay. <clears throat> well, I really felt for these people. Marie, Steve, the... The, the demographics of the area changed, their church home changed, and they were looking for a new community or place to belong. There were two things that Glendale Lutheran donated to another church that day. They were carried to Prince of Peace Lutheran 
what were they? It was that Viking ship and a small pew, both with Rose Smalling on them. So we'll pick up this story now from Patty Spangler, who helped the ship and the pew make that journey. We'd been members there for like 34 years when we transferred our membership. My neighbors mm-hmm. were very active members in Glendale. And so we would talk a lot about it. But it's my sure. understanding, the little chapel, which became the Rosemall Church, uh, you know, it was I believe it was built maybe at the beginning of the 1950s. I know Prince of Peace Church actually laid their cornerstone in uh, 1955. So I, I think there's some similarities. I thought, well, I'll just look up some of the other Norwegian Lutheran churches around and, and see if any of them had the beautiful rose mauling that they had at Glendale. And you know what? When I looked at the pictures of their sanctuaries, they aren't. Even the the big one in Minneapolis that still order um, offers the services in Norwegian doesn't have all the beautiful rose mauling. So my understanding is there was quite a lot of, because there's a lot of Norwegians around here, you know, <laughs> this is Seattle, when we're either first generation or second generation immigrants. And so there's always an interest in passing on some of the traditions and the beauty yes. of Scandinavian. Yes. And I think that was one of them. So, you know, our I'm uh, currently the president of our lodge of the Daughters of Norway, but when I was, you know, started my membership, one of the field trips we had was actually to the Rosemall Chapel. And I have an, another piece. I was also the principal at Sylvester Middle School. And my band instructor, Jerry Bain, was Norwegian. And he loved to do Hardanger Lakes. So all of the no altar coverings and, you know, where the Bible stands in the pulpit, where you had any of the linens, that was all done by Jerry. And he used to sit and talk to me and how he'd get done and you know, a day with middle schools can be challenging and how relaxing it was and, you know, to be able to sit down and stitch a bit because you, if you've ever, I've done hard anger lace, it takes a lot of patience. And so it takes your mind yeah. off of everything. And, you know, the, the pieces were just beautiful. And when I learned that the, the sale had happened, one of my desires was to make sure that some of these things might have a home in a church. Interestingly enough, when I talked to the people that were in charge of it, what they had made a decision is anything that anybody contributed to the chapel would go back to the person or the family. Okay. If they were no longer. Jerry Bain had passed away. Gosh, it'd be, you know, maybe 15 years ago. But the beauty of it is they were made for altars and they're, they're, they were just gorgeous. They had stitchery and they had paintings, rose mauling, hanging on the walls and that. As you'll hear, one of the major things Patty was able to bring from Glendale Chapel to her church was a votive ship that used to hang just to the side of the pulpit. Votive ships are models of ships, usually tall ships with sails, that are found in many old churches in Europe, and certainly in Scandinavia. 
The Glendale ship was a Viking ship with a mast and a sail. It was carved by Tim Berggren, and the row of shields along each side of the Viking ship were rose-mauled tuna or soup cans that were painted by Sherry Anderson and Kelly Suter. It's really well done, and there's a picture of this on the podcast website. It's very heavy, the wood, and it's hand-carved. And I don't know about the mast, whether that came with the boat or it uh, was something that someone did. And so I was able to have them donate it. And I said we would be sure and hang it up. And I did this through being a member of the Lutheran Church as well as president of the Daughters of Norway and our interest in preserving Scandinavian art, history, and culture. Yeah, That was the fellowship hall. When the church was originally designed, that was actually supposed to be the sanctuary sure. because of the way the, the ceiling is. Mm-hmm. And the area where the sanctuary is was supposed to be the fellowship hall. Actually, it fits better because of the way the ceiling is in the fellowship hall. So when you look at the cross in the wall that has the, the bricks on it, on the left side, we have it hanging right up and it, you know, faces out like it's sailing in. And so I had asked earlier if it would be possible to have one of the small pews, the one that was up by the altar. I was able to acquire that small pew. It only sits two people, but it has example of the rose mauling that was done on the side that the member sat there and did forever. And that little bench fits nicely against the wall right underneath the ship. And so, I mean, it's a perfect setting. Uh, I did take some pictures of the, the ship hanging up. It does symbolize, you know, about the the culture and the, the churches. And what in, interests me in all of this is when I made my trips to Norway, we went to like the Romsdal Mm-hmm. Nordic, well, every church we went into always had a boat. And mm-hmm. so when we actually went to the Lutheran church that was in Molda, which was where uh, my mother's family was originally from, this great big Lutheran church, you walk in there, there's this boat. Usually the boat is a gift from either um, seamen or mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a gift from shipbuilders. The ship is a symbol of how important the sea is to the Nordic people. The ship reflects an old Nordic tradition of giving offerings for the protection of the loved ones at sea and is a reminder of those lost at sea. Uh, If you go to some of the things about Christianity, there's quite a bit of significance about the boat and the pilgrimage on the world. You ship off to the everlasting life. So there's a Christianity side of the symbolic uh, part of it all. That's kind of how the ship got to Prince of Peace. And it's a lovely addition. People ask questions about it, which is always what you want. And I I just think a a lot of the symbolism also matches our uh, particular mission of the church, which is a a community outreach. We have community meals once a month that just open it up and anyone, you know, they're just advertised and they, they come and we serve the people. It's important that 
this be extended or or donated somewhere. It was interesting. I think Glendale was trying to see what the different museums, it, it gets very complicated when you're yeah. trying to donate things. Yes, it does. And so it was kind of overwhelming, but um, that's... Uh, that's how it got to Prince of Peace. I think most of the Lutheran churches, they're diminishing in size. They have lovely facilities, and Christian outreach is one of the things they believe in. Would you say Prince of Peace has traditionally had a larger Scandinavian contribution to the congregation or not especially? Uh, it, it has. And yeah. we're also an older congregation. We At least we do have a youth group, and it's not large, but they're very active. If you don't have young people <clears throat> involved, you're probably not going to stay right. in existence. Right. And it's finding that balance of uh, outreach, the, the tradition of the Lutheran liturgy and song and something that is a little bit more contemporary that young people can relate to. I've, I've done a lot of reading about that sense of community and that, yes, churches, also fraternal orders, all, all, all of mm -hmm. those folks have seen a reduction in people. Some of them are the older folks that are actually dying <laughs> and moving <laughs> on. Um, do you have a feeling for why that is, do you think? And is there I, something replacing it, do you think, for Jen? Yeah. I think what really um, set things uh, going in different directions is when we, we couldn't be together as a community. Yes, yes. Good point. And it's just been real, real hard to, to do. I think you need to find a, a bit of a new road. <laughs> for getting there, the direction is all all the same. Christian community and outreach helping others. But the way in which you do that may change. One of the things like the community meals, that's a way of outreach. You know, people come in, they're not necessarily members. Members are encouraged to be a part of it because these people a lot of times don't have people to talk to. We're, we, we just talk about how, what they're doing and you know, what's going on in their lives as opposed, we're not pushing anything for, for membership or anything. There's no free will offering at any of these, you know, it's, a, this is a, a donation to our outreach. I, I think it's going to take a while. It's not just in churches. It's in, in everything. It is absolutely. And, you know, people are afraid uh, to do too much. They're sometimes af afraid of strangers and they look different. And, you know, I don't have an answer, but I'm certainly trying to be out there and a part of it in the ways in which I, I can. It's interesting. I just got back from our Daughters of Norway convention. Mm. There's a thing that especially the, the women said, it's like, you know, we grew up and we, uh, if you always would help people. And if people didn't have a place to go on a holiday, they could just come and show up at your house and there'd always be plenty of food. You'd be welcomed and all of that. Well, there's actually an unwritten term that they've used, Yantelovan. I don't yeah. know. If you, and yeah. so, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting to me, that is a part of the Scandinavian piece. You know, we don't 
We like to do things behind the scenes. We don't need you right. know big hoopla. We don't need awards for that. That's the gift of giving. And anyway, it's it's interesting. And I just looking at all of the stuff that's going on in Maui with the fires. Yes. Yes. The Hawaiian, they have that same sense. And I don't know what happened in our country, but we seem to have lost that sense of community. And I don't know if it's because of the diversity and I don't know what to attribute it to, but I you know our pastor is from Uganda and he's from a tribe there. They have that, that same thing. So it's part of many societies in looking out and not, not always putting yourself First, I mean, you, you take care of that. You try to look out for others in the sense of community and, you know, the history of Norway with everything they went through with, you name it. I mean, they had every pandemic go through there and they didn't get the vaccines and, you know, the droughts, the no fish for years. Right. They just went away. All of those kinds of things. So the ship is now part of another community. And you, as you've heard, to thrive, a, a community needs new members and younger members, and ongoing relevance to the current community. You know, it's, it's a human thing. We all need a place where we belong. For young people today, when I ask my kids, that community is often online. It may be through a, a gaming group. It occasionally is in person in meetups, as they call them. But we also enjoy... Our fraternal orders, this tends to be the little bit older crowd, and I'm one of them, fraternal orders, Sons of Norway, Daughters of Norway, Swedish Association, the Danish Brotherhood, wherever you are. Um, concerts, taking newspapers like the Norwegian American, visiting museums. And yes, we also enjoy our podcasts like Nordic on Tap that help us remember and celebrate where we are from and where we are going. Steve from the Glendale Lutheran Church said earlier that our society has become so polarized. Polarization suggests we only have two choices on what to believe or what to think of each other. This is a fallacy of logic. It's the fallacy of the false dichotomy. Don't fall for it. It's a myth when someone says you're either for us or against us. It's my belief that the survival of our society, wherever you are, is always going to be how you bridge those opposites in order to find community in new groups in the middle. That's what Prince of Peace Lutheran is doing, bringing in others. Forty years ago, the pastor of my church read a poem from the poet Edwin Markham, who said, he drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Thank you to the gracious people at Glendale Lutheran for sharing their stories. Thanks to Bjorg Clivey on how she made the rosemalling at Glendale to Patty Spangler for talking about the destination of that ship, and to Marilyn Hansen, who got me into this whole thing in the beginning. 
Our intro music is by Morton Alfred Hoyrup and Ruthie Dornfeld. The outgoing music is by Daryl Jackson. Don't forget to visit NordicOnTap.com, the Rosemald Church podcast, for pictures of what this beautiful chapel used to look like before the painting was removed and the detail of that rosemalling. I'll also put the names of all the people that I know were involved in making that chapel. Other links are there as well, including links to follow Nordic on Tap, where you usually get your podcasts, a special opportunity to support the show using the Buy Me a Coffee button, a chance to correspond with the show's producer, as well as the writer, the host, and the chief bottle washer by just leaving a comment or dropping me a line at nordicontap at gmail.com. Thanks. I'm Eric Stavney, and this is the Nordic on Tap podcast. Be kind to your neighbor. Be safe. Thank you.